Welcome to the Live Explore podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe. Welcome everyone. I'm Sean Payne, owner and founder of Live Explore Real Estate and Lifestyle. And today I have with me Isaiah Chass, our founding agent, and Paul Fordham from Homeward Bound out of Marin County. Thank you guys for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so Paul, tell us a little bit about your organization. Uh, well, I'm the co-CEO of Homeward Bound of Marin. Uh, we've been around for, well, since 1974. Um, I've been with the agency for 18 years. And really the purpose is to end homelessness in Marin through housing solutions. Okay. And so we operate five shelters. We also have 13 housing developments or housing, supportive housing programs we've either built or operate. Uh, did you say four housing? Uh, 13 uh, housing sites. Sites, wow. Yeah. What, what's your overall capacity? How many people can you? About 600 people. Wow, yeah. okay. And we're just in Marin County. I mean, we work with homeless families, homeless adults, uh, veterans, seniors, basically with the generalists for folks who experience homelessness. And we want to have the shelter as like a place to be we find pathway to housing and then sure. we have some of our own housing that people will live in this week there's 13 programs but it's not enough for everyone we serve so we also help people um get back to work sign up for other affordable housing wait lists get job skills all kinds of things like that very cool and they are they two separate programs one with the workforce housing one with the veteran housing so we have the way that our, our response to homelessness has been sort of co-created with a our team is that we want to have different avenues out of homelessness. So some of them are really based on people returning to work. Um, you know, they have a life crisis, maybe a relationship breaks up or they struggle with addiction, but then they get clean and sober or a financial crisis. And for some of those people in that situation, um, they're able to rebuild their life. Homelessness was thing, something that happened briefly and they need a little support, maybe even for a couple of years, an affordable place to be. And then they're able to move on, return to work, um, even move into home ownership. Um, but certainly to the regular rental market. And there's another section of the uh, people experiencing homelessness who then really need ongoing supportive services and supportive housing for the long term. And that could be because of their age and or disabilities, or it could be the number of barriers they have. Sure. So our response has been like the shelter is somewhere to catch everybody. Right. And then from okay. there, we work with folks to find the right pathway out. And so we've developed both short-term housing where people can be for two or three years while they're building job skills, um, building their rental re- rental history again. Because uh, you know, if you think you've been homeless for a few years, even uh, you don't have any credit history usually, or it's really bad credit. You have like, right, right. rental or employment history, so it's really hard to suddenly like get back into the housing market, rent a place. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to know, who are you? Where have you been? Right. So right. some of our programs are really built for folks to pay rent and it's affordable rent, but they pay it for a short period of time and build their credit, build their rental history, build their rental resume, you know, get better job skills, and then they can just springboard back into the marketplace. Right. Yeah. Do you have like, where, where do the, where do the majority of your client, is there, where do the majority of your clients come from? And is there like one or two aspects that you can kind of like identify it like as a result of what, why they're facing what they are that way? So. Yeah, great question. So in terms of where do people come from, we're really a homeward bound. We're only in Marin County. Um, we have shelters um, across the county, a couple of the major cities. So in you know, San Rafael, Nevada, 
Um, but we really serve anybody in Marin or anybody who finds himself homeless in Marin. Um, so that's where people come from. Folks experiencing homelessness usually find us because we're the, the main sheltering program. So shelter being a place to be, being a place you can be for the night, but it's not, uh, there's no right to be there in the long term. You don't have a lease or anything. Um, so people find us as a part of the safety net. Some people might find us on their first night of homelessness. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, or it could be that somebody's been living outside or in an encampment or under the freeway and they say, I can't do this anymore. I just need to be inside. I need to make a change. And then often they might get referred to us through a street outreach team or a police department. Someone hospital refers into us sometimes. So that's how people find us. And then in terms of like figuring out what somebody needs, you know, every single person has a different story of why they became homeless. And so it's working with them to learn what is their, what are their specific barriers? Uh, what, whatever led to their homelessness isn't going to help them get out of it. So how can we help them find a different pathway and, um, and meeting them where they are? And then also finding out what they're eligible for. So if somebody's a veteran, they have serious mental health issues and they're a senior, there's a bunch of different options we can look at. We can work with the veterans department. Um, we run some veterans programs. For a senior, they can sign up for a bunch of senior affordable housing wait lists. There's severe mental health issues. There's different pathways through that system. If somebody has none of those issues, um, you know, we have to then dig a little deeper and start figuring out uh, are there pathways back to employment? Is there family they can connect with? Can we help them increase their income or just regular affordable housing? Can we connect them with that? Um, or, you know, really in that increasing income pathway is probably 30 or 40% of folks we work with. Really? A lot of people do need subsidies and affordable housing, mm -hmm. but there are some that don't. So it's meeting people where they are and also finding what's their interest. At Home Abound, we run a big culinary training program, which I can get into in a minute if you're interested, but, uh, but that's not for everybody. It really works for some folks, but not everybody wants to be in the kitchen being a cook. So right. mm -hmm. okay, can we help? We've had some success uh, helping people get connected with the trades, you know, so like, uh, so they can get a union, plumbing job or uh -huh. um, or even just working on a construction crew. But if you get it uh, um, with the union, you can get pretty good wages. Right. So like connecting people that way, if that's an interest and if they have the physical ability to do that. So yeah, it's just meeting people where they are. Figuring it out. Yeah. Tell us more about the culinary program. Okay. So we've been running a culinary training program since 2001. Really, we opened a shelter. Um, we wanted to serve three meals a day in a canteen style in the shelter. And we were trying to figure out food service because we're the experts for shelter and housing, but we didn't really know a lot about food service at the time. Unless we were interviewing different food service purveyors, we realized there's a bunch of people on the other side of the canteen line looking for employment. Like, well, hmm. know, maybe we could make this a culinary training program that could work with the folks who are trying to return to work and rebuild their lives. So we tried, tried it with a few folks. It was really successful, not just in terms of people wanting to get a job in this field, but uh, also we found that as we follow people over the long term, they really had built a career. Like, okay, this is my identity now. I'm a cook. And they might start the lowest wage cook, but five years later, they're still in the restaurant industry and now they've got much better wages. Mm -hmm. So we saw the potential <clears throat> of that. And we'd also seen a lot of people who had not done well in school for various reasons. Maybe their parents were homeless and they moved around a lot, changed schools, sure. didn't succeed in schools. So people doing a culinary training program, they could do it. Our program's 10 weeks long. Um, within 10 weeks, they could complete it. And a lot of people said to us, you know, this is the first thing, first time I've completed something. 
you know, and that self-esteem yeah, goes out, right. you know? And it's not based on like book work necessarily. There's some hygiene tests and things like that, but there's not, uh, it's how fast can you chop carrots, you know? Right. And it's kind of, you know, like maybe it appeals to different people. You got a knife in a uniform and now here I am successful. And so it becomes an identity and a, and a career rather than just a job. So we now have, that's morphed over those since 2001. Now it's industry certified. It's a really American Culinary Federation certified training. So somebody says, you know, I'm master chef. Right. That's an American Culinary Federation certification. And we're not training people to be master chefs right away, but it's still the same industry certification. People get in our training and they're becoming more of a prep cook or line cook. Um, and then we have five businesses that then we can employ people into. So folks do a 10 week training, <clears throat> five days a week, nine to three, kind of like a job. And they pass all these rubrics and tests. At the end of that, they graduate. And some folks go straight into jobs in the restaurant industry locally. Right. Had somebody in here in Petaluma at Central Market employed one of our grads and they really? did really well. That's awesome. Um, but also others are not quite ready yet. They might have more barriers. And that could be everything from like, okay, they've got all the techniques, but they're really slow. Uh-huh. So you go into a fast-paced kitchen, you're not going to succeed. Right. So then they can come work for us for six months. We'll pay them. Um, they will work on whatever that deficit is um, or the skill area. Uh, and then we run these businesses. We have a event center and catering business in Novato. Uh, we have a, a celebrity chef monthly series where we get all these great celebrity chefs come in and do cooking demos. We have John Ash coming in. Really? Uh, yeah, next month. That's, Sold out that's in so December. Cool. Bunch of different chefs. Actually, we have the chef from Table Culture Provisions from Petaluma coming really? in February. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so we have these chef demos. So that's another business we have. We have a line of high-end dog treats that are in 120 stores. <laughs> like all the Whole Foods and Pet Food Express. Really? Like and all made treats. at your facilities? Yeah. And then the people who make them were formerly homeless. Uh, maybe they're in supportive housing now. Um, or maybe they're still on the shelter working their way out. And so then what we can do is they can work on the dog treat business. But then if we have a catering the event center, they work on that. Uh, you know, so people get a diverse set of skills and then they help us flex between the businesses. And then we also make meals for our own programs. It's another of our businesses too. So we're doing 10,000 meals a month for different supportive housing and shelter programs. And again, the revenue from those programs then helps to pay to employ these folks. Wow. So we have that culinary program. There's a bunch of different outcomes. Not everybody works for us. Some people go straight to the industry, but those who, you know, who, who, who need it can work for us. And then we're able to earn some more income to pay for the cost of the training program. That's that's a really cool program. You said since two thousand one, you guys. Two thousand one, we started so it. So almost over over twenty years yeah. this has been going. Yeah. Ha, have other people copied this model that that way? I mean, it seems like great almost question. a no brainer. That yeah, way. yeah. So, so great question. Um, so we there was about five or six of us that started around the same time nationally, just not connected, but found this is a really good pathway. And if you think about it, somebody who's either returning citizen, like moving, coming out of uh, the prison system or moving out of homelessness. A lot of restaurants just want people who work. They don't care what right. your past was. Can you show, will you show up today? Cause my right. chef just quit and I got meals to get on the table. So that industry of the cooking. My industry, family owned a, owned a local restaurant here in town. So I grew up in one. So I totally know what you're, yeah. you know what you're talking about. You're here, the dishwasher so. today, but the other guy didn't show up. So now yep. suddenly you're the bread yep. cook, right? Yep. Uh, so that industry is a great fit. So a bunch of different nonprofits who are working around, you know, trying to create training or pathways back um, from difficult situations. Uh, you know, we all kind of re- realized food service was a great training ground. Right. And so uh, that we 
seven or eight years ago, there's a collective of folks formed this group called, called Catalyst Kitchens. Uh-huh. And so there's a great nonprofit in DC called DC Central Kitchens. Another one in Seattle called Fair Star. Really? Great one in Florida. So we all kind of came together because other people were seeing our programs and saying, hey, can you show us how to do that? Can we learn from that? We want to replicate that in our community. And now we're about 80 strong different nonprofits, all with kitch- training kitchens all around the country. And then we share ideas. So it's not, the burden isn't on, say, Home Abandoned Marin or Fair Start to teach everybody how to do everything. Instead, it's more like a shared knowledge pool. Right. And then we learn from each other. Right. You know, recently we've had trouble recruiting for people for the culinary program because we actually bring people in from the community as well as from our shelters to train for food service. It's like most businesses in the world right now, it's hard to get staff. And we were right. struggling to recruit people for our program. And then we, you can talk to these other kitchens and everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's not as many people. But they were gone. What's going on? You know, like, and so uh, people comparing notes about, okay, so it's just a need for our service. Yes, there is. So how do we market it differently? Or how do we, Mm -hmm. even for people who were offering a free training to enter the food service industry, we're finding now we have to put a marketing spin on it because they're thinking, why could I do that? I could walk into, you know, um, McDonald's and get a dishwashing job. Mm -hmm. Why do I want to take your training? explain what we're setting up for a career and right. food hygiene training and all the little economy techniques. So we're having to figure out uh, that. So, so having this network of other kitchens so we can just talk to is, uh, you know, is, is really right, interesting right. and helpful. That's that's great. What a, what a really cool program. What yeah, a really cool program. I think that's a good segue into you have a, a new development project yeah. that, if I'm not mistaken, is yeah. currently approved to start construction, which includes a culinary site to expand on this? Yes, exactly. Great segue into that, actually. <laughs> so this is in um, the former Hamilton uh, base in Novato. Uh, sure, okay. So we have actually two plots that we've developed, including the one where we started the culinary training program. Oh, is that we, where it's out of? In, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then we have an event space there, too, and then we have some... So we, have, we also have a shelter and supportive housing. They exist right now. But there's a, a another parcel on that site, um, which has been designated for non-profit use. It's a terrible name. It's called the HUD parcel, which is like the city's name. Um, we haven't renamed it yet, but it's 2.8 acres. Is that the portion behind the gym over there? Um, it's before you go down into the base. Okay. It's, uh, it's actually at the... And it was part of the base. It was the commissary where they received the goods, but it's not kind of in the valley where the base is. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's more near the uh, airport or up there in that Safeway shopping center. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, um, so yeah, we have 2.8 acres and we're going to build three separate distinct buildings on that cost of about $30 billion. And so one of them is, um, as you said, a tra- expansion of these programs. So it's a manufacturing bakery, with a little hands-on training kitchen and a little event space there. And that's really to build out the successful businesses we already have. Like the dog treat business has gone so well, it's at about $120,000 in revenue last year. Really? But it's in the tiny corner of our commercial kitchen where we're making meals for our programs, right? So so we want to have a dedicated space so we can go, what's it look like if we go times 10? And what type of jobs could we do if we're doing over a million dollars a year? Are you just... Like selling those locally in Marin County right now, or, or, or what's your? No, we're mainly in California. Okay. We have a few uh, outside of California, so we're in all thirty-three Bay Area Whole Foods. Uh-huh. We're in all sixty like branches of Pet Food Express, but again, that's all around California, including Pet Uh and and then a bunch of independent markets, and then we have some chains, but it's more the chains are more like Oliver's Market or uh, Molly Stones, places like that. Very cool. Um, 
so yeah, so that so having the one development there, if we had a manufacturing bakery, we can really grow that and go all around the country right. and go expand the world with big distributors. But also we can for us, it's not really about making money. We don't want to lose money, but it's about creating jobs. So if we could go to a manufacturing bakery, we can train people not just to make the treats, but to you know uh, work in a warehouse like shipping and receiving and handling and inventory management and uh, sales and marketing. That's what I was going to ask. Are there options for other professions within that business, like yeah. marketing? And so right now it's not big enough. So there are, but it's sort of our you know, fundraising team do a bit of marketing. But one, you know, one hundred twenty thousand a year is a great start. It's not just a tiny little business. You know, it's, it's getting to big volume, but it needs to get a lot bigger before we can really create dedicated training opportunities. But absolutely, the goal is to have them as training opportunities where. People come through the program and then move on to other local industries who have a need for that. And then we train the next person. Mm -hmm. And that's how we really measure success is the number of people trained, the number of people who move on from us. I mean, it's a strange business model where you're trying to lose your best employees all the time, you know? Right, right. But that's the goal. That's how we sure. measure success. And so, yeah, part of the business is like the manufacturing bakery uh, that we're trying to build and also a hands-on kitchen uh, for more teaching. Um, and then some breakout event spaces because we have an event space called the Key Room. It's on that same campus, but uh, we often find we're getting double booked or people want breakout rooms. So, so that's one component of what we're going to build. And then there's two housing programs on there. So we're going to build a veterans uh, dedicated uh, building for, for, for homeless, uh, veterans experiencing homelessness. Um, be 24 units of housing would have 24-7 support services on site. Wow. Um, and we believe that that will help us actually end veteran homelessness in Marin County. We've been tracking it person really? by person, seeing that number drop. And uh, each month we place, we track like how many people move into housing who are veterans and how many new folks we find who either return to homelessness or they were in an encampment, we didn't know they were a veteran, now we know they are, so right. it's getting connected. And we think by the time we open these last... 24 beds in about 18 months time so we'll be able to say we've reached zero veterans in Marin experiencing homelessness and then any new veterans that fall into homelessness will be prioritized for the next, the next available bed yeah right, so right. Um, so we're really excited about that and there's a groundbreaking for it actually this I don't know when this podcast goes out but this coming uh, Thursday as uh, the day before Veterans Day we're having a groundbreaking ceremony have Senator McGuire's coming to speak and we'll have a color guard and we'll have a uh, uh, yeah, fun event. You're welcome to join us. One thirty. Oh, cool. Uh, Thank you. And then the last building, so the veterans building, manufacturing, bakery, and training space. We're also adding 26 units of uh, housing for folks who are re-entering the workforce who've been homeless. It's sort of workforce housing is a loose description, but that means so much to so many different people. People often think of teachers when you think of workforce housing or firemen. Um, for us, it's people who are entering the local workforce from the shelter system. So maybe they've got a job at Pete's and they're on a Pete's management training um, or they're working, have people who have been working either in the jail system or the postal system, but the entry level job doesn't, even though they're working 40 hours a week and doesn't it's a pathway to more money, it's really hard to rent anywhere because right. the rental market is so expensive. So this way we'll have a supportive housing options for those folks where again, they can rebuild their credit, they can work to save money. And then over time, as they get more and more income, you know, they can move on to their own place. Right, right. Yeah. Very cool.
Very, very cool. And then from, do you have programs that allow once you go through your shelter programs to help them get placed in on their own? Is, is there, do you reach out directly with landlords? How does, is there anything along those yeah, lines? Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, great question. So a variety of things. So we, again, we don't have enough housing for everybody experiencing homelessness or even the volume of people who come through the shelter. So each person we're trying to identify what is the right pathway for them. And we do that together with the person. Um, and we're realistic. Like, you know, you're unlikely to get housing, subsidized housing, because the, you know, the programs are available and you don't, you're not a veteran, you don't meet that qualification or, or whatever that circumstance is. So we, yes, we try and work with each person to figure out a pathway and then help them find that housing. We also work closely with the Marine Housing Authority and they have housing locators. So if you were to get, um, a voucher, like a Section 8 voucher, a subsidized housing voucher, they have housing locators that will help you find housing, connect with landlords. Um, you can find housing on your own, but they also have a network of folks they work with. We also know how to sell that program and you know, explain to the landlords why it's beneficial often to take a Section 8 voucher, partly because you're guaranteed income. Right. Now, if you rent somebody off the street, what if they decide to stop paying and then it can be hard to get just that random person out of your unit. Whereas if you've got the housing authority involved, you have guaranteed payments. So that's sort of, they have a whole arm that talks to landlords about, here's the benefits. Right. Section 8 gets a bad rap, but honestly. It does, it, yes. Yeah. yeah. But honestly, here's what they have. And I assume it's the same as snow, I don't know, but it can be like in Marin, they have a big landlord mitigation pool. So if your unit's damaged, they'll pay for repairs. If uh, somebody stops paying, you're still guaranteed to get the money from Section 8. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of... Um, pluses um uh, uh, that they have and uh, and that's the the housing locators and that's their job so that's not actually homeward bound people where we connect folks through the shelter to, to the, you know to those people where applicable we also help people a lot you know be realistic about their housing search uh, you know sometimes folks we have to say you know have you thought about moving out of county because mm -hmm. it's cheaper or moving back to the state where you might have been from originally mm -hmm. and most people we found who experience homelessness in Marin, they're from Marin. They're really, really? like 75 to 80% of folks, they're either from Marin or they were housed in Marin. But it may have been that they were housed in Marin in a relationship, their relationship broke up. I see. They may have lost a job or whatever, and the relationship broke up. And then suddenly they're like, okay, well, yes, you were homeless in Marin. You were here for six years. But before that, the rest of your family is back in Iowa, uh, let's say. Uh, uh, do you want to explore going back there where the rent's a lot cheaper or your job at wherever it is uh target they have right. targets there too you right. know like and the, and the money would go a lot further yeah, yeah, sure. so we have those conversations and we actually find we have those conversations initially people are like no i love it here it's beautiful which it is then after eight months of uh sleeping in a dorm with three other people snoring every night you know and mm. uh, sharing bathrooms and all that stuff they're maybe more open to that uh conversations so sometimes what we work on is rebuilding those maybe broken relationships in the past maybe somebody had an addiction and that they've been clean for four years but they haven't they, they blew up all those relationships right. with the family has not rebuilt them so sometimes we work with folks around that while we're in the shelter like let's you know write letters explain where you are see if you can get on a zoom call with your family or reconnect via facebook and we've seen that happen right we had a guy who worked with us as a dishwasher for about a year and a half saved all his money and then moved back to Tennessee and he got a job managing uh, 
mobile home community, which came with housing, and then he brought a bunch of money he'd saved, and he had family and friends back there. Oh, and again, he was initially resistant, but he was just saving, saving, sure. saving. He knew he'd have to have a lot of money to stay in Marin, and then eventually he's like, oh, this would go so much further elsewhere. So I'm not saying we should be outsourcing the problem. It's more like, where do you have other options? Right. And maybe, maybe somebody doesn't have other options. A lot of folks we see have grown up in Marin uh, or in the North Bay, and they have a community of people that they're connected to, uh, and they stay connected. That's it. You know, they're not. We have people actually who've grown up maybe in Marin City who've never been to the ocean, and they're mm. adults now. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, she's so close. People come from all over the world to go here, but their community was very small, uh, maybe generational poverty, and they've not seen all that. So then, you know, the, the, but their network is here. The idea of going to San Francisco or moving to Lake County is terrifying. Well, I learned say so move out of county, right. and then they don't know anybody. That so that's not the solution for them. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the guy in Tennessee who had all his family there and all the person in Iowa. So we just spent a lot of time exploring different options with people and then also continuing to have those conversations six or nine months later because in our shelter, you can stay for 28 days. It's essentially night to night. If your behavior is off, we ask you to leave. But when somebody comes into the shelter, we'll say, look, we know that you can't be planning each day where am I going to sleep tonight. So as soon as your behavior is okay, you can stay for 28 days. Mm-hmm. And we'll work on a housing pathway. And if at the end of those 28 days, um, we haven't figured anything out, but your behavior is great and you're working on your housing plan, we're, we're working together on it and you're moving, you're meeting with us, we'll extend for another 28 days. And then people can keep extending as long as they need to, assuming they're following the guidelines. But that 28 days means they don't get residency. They don't, they're staying in a shelter situation, but we're continuing that momentum towards housing. And the conversation you might have in the first month, might repeat it again in eight months later, and there's a different answer because somebody's getting more and more frustrated. Like, I just want to get my own place. I'm fed up. Mm-hmm. I had roommates. The idea of living with roommates, let alone sleeping in a room with others, mm-hmm. it's really hard. You know, right. I would hate to do that right now. Right, yeah. And so it's better than sleeping under a bridge, but it's it's an interim situation for folks. So sure. it's like, let's keep moving forward. Let's find you your pathway home. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So uh, to wrap up, I guess, what what's the timeline on the the three-part project that you're previously speaking about? Great. Yeah. So uh, the, we're doing it in two phases. We've raised enough money for the, uh, basically to knock down the existing buildings, do the site work and infrastructure for all three. Um, but we've built, built the veterans building in total. We've raised money for that. And then we build up to our pad level right now for the other two buildings. And then we'll continue to fundraise. So we think it's about $30 million total project. Um, and we've raised about 13 and a half million so far, which is enough for the site work in the veterans building. Uh-huh. And then we'll keep fundraising. And if we, if everything aligns, uh, we'll just keep building. If it doesn't, we'll pause at the end of phase one, raise the balance and then go back to, uh, to finishing those two other buildings. I'm sorry. What, what's your major source of funding? So is it, a, is it grants or it's a big mix of, uh, grants, individual donations, foundations. For this one in particular, there's been a lot of government funding, particularly for the veterans component. Okay. And the government's had a real initiative to direct funds. You know, and when I say the government, I mean both the state, the feds, and, and local too, um, to end veteran homelessness. So uh, we've got Senator McGuire helped us get uh, $4 million for the, from the California budget surplus a couple of years ago, and also helped us secure some uh, veterans funding through the state. So that, that total was $7 million of the... Okay, of the 13. Yeah, we've right raised now. already. Okay. Marine Community Foundation's been very supportive. We got about $2.2 2 from them. 
Um, and then various different, you know, the city of Nevada put in some money. They have in lieu fees when people build regular housing and you're supposed to build, I think, 20% affordable housing. But the builder can choose to put into this in lieu fund instead in lieu of building the house. I see. Okay. And then the money gets directed to projects like us. I see. So, okay. that, so we've got some money from the city of Nevada from that. And then a bunch of very generous individuals um, you know, have supported us. Sure. That's yeah. great. Uh, aside from funding, have you experienced what, what roadblocks have you experienced with the within the community? And yeah. if, if now's your chance to kind of, you know, explain why they're yeah. wrong. <laughs> Well, actually, I will say for this development we've been talking about, um, which are the veterans and workforce housing and the training center, uh, we've had very little pushback. Um, in fact, we've had pretty much nothing but support for that Good. from the neighbors, from the city, from, from everybody around. Um, part of that, I think, is this is the third development we've done on that little campus. And the first one, when we opened a the shelter there, uh, there was a lot of pushback from the community. Sure. And then the second one, when we opened uh, supportive housing and training center, there's a little little bit, but not very much mm -hmm. pushback because we'd already proven the track record and we can say, you know, here's the, the police chief came out in support and said, you know, this is solving, this is not creating problems. We're not really getting calls for service here. Mm -hmm. We're getting calls for service elsewhere and we're bringing people here, you know. Right. It's part of the solution. So the community has really uh, been very supportive. They saw the results. That yeah, yeah. that's great. We have opened, I will say that we've opened two other programs this year. Um, we, we converted a motel in Corte Madeira, right next to Marin Joe's. Mm -hmm. uh, we converted that into 18 little, um, studio units and the community was very hesitant at first. Mm -hmm. They were very afraid, partly because the funding allowed everyone to skip the community process. So there was sort of no oh, way in from the community, sure. uh, which I understand, you know, somebody just said, you open a program down the street from you and you have no say in it. Right, right. I understand that concern, but there was um, definitely a lot of fear about who might go into the program and what it might then lead to in the community. Mm -hmm. um, so part of my job has been to meet with folks like that and be part of a community discussion board so that I can talk about, well, people who are in these housing programs, they, they have to sign a lease, same as the rest of us. Mm -hmm. So if you think... You know, people were claiming, you know, people make outrageous claims online you know, about, are you going to be importing drug dealers from the South Bay, you know, East Bay or right, wherever, right. wherever that think it is. And so, no, actually, no. Right. You know, if there's illegal activity, police will be called. We're more likely to spot it because we've got staffing on site and cameras mm -hmm. and all the other things. So we're creating like a safe uh, community and people don't follow the terms of the lease. They have to leave and they're paying to be there, too. And. If you get kicked out of a homeless program, there's nowhere for you to go. Right, you know? So right. there's like a lot of like education around that. Sure. Uh, as opposed to what was there before, which was a motel that um, was more of the lower end motel. And the community clients who were in there may have been doing a lot more illegal Those things than our folks are we doing, right, you know, right, yeah, with no yeah. support on it. And sure. then they're also gone tomorrow. So there's no accountability. Right. So. Right. Um, so I think having those conversations is helpful. And I think when people are afraid of homeless programs or affordable housing, I think what they're afraid of is safety. That's the, the root of their concern. Sure. And I think part of what I feel my job is to do is to communicate to them that I hear them and the reason we're building and operating these programs is to create safety. It's far safe, safer for all of us to have people in a program than outside on the street, mm -hmm. you know, and sleeping outside. And if they are, using drugs and alcohol, you know, there's nobody checking that. And there's, uh, there's stuff 
everywhere. And, and then there's more police calls for service. So it takes longer for the police or the ambulance to get to your house. Sure. And it's also safer for the people involved to have a place where they belong and can be inside. So it's, you know, it's creating safety for, every, for mm -hmm. everybody. Um, I think there's a whole bunch of, well, I know there's a whole bunch of studies that prove that once you get somebody who's been sleeping outside under a bridge into supportive housing, that everything in their life improves. So if they're not just worrying about where they're going to sleep tonight and hating their situation and not um, knowing how they get out of it, they're waking up in the same bed and they can take a shower and there's somebody who's some uh, drug or alcohol use is, uh, they're going to change those behaviors because sure. they see a different future. Right. Um, whereas if you just wake out cold, wake up cold and wet outside with a headache, you don't know where you can eat or sleep. The options of like taking, choosing a substance so your brain's in a different space, even if you're physically right. not, no, that's appealing. Whereas if you're waking up with a headache in the same bed every day, uh, you might think, make a change. Yeah, I can make yep. a change now. And you see that possibility. We, I had somebody once I talked to and he, I interviewed him for a video and he said, you know, I used to sit there on the sidewalk in downtown San Rafael, see all the cars going by, people going to work and thinking, I wish I was inside that car going to work. They have no idea how to get, get from there. here to there. And that's sort of where someone like us comes in. So Homo Band of Marin or COTS in Petaluma, mm -hmm. or, you know, it's a bunch of good programs around is that we're that bridge and we're not, we can't do it for everybody. People have to make their own choices, mm -hmm. but we provide like a, a structure for people to be in shelter and some supportive housing that allow people to change their behaviors. Now, there are some who don't take advantage of it, but there are many right. who do. Right. And so um, it's just really like given a chance, most people do want housing and they do want to live what we would consider a more normal life, you know, of, of, with structure. They just lost their, their way somewhere you right. know, in, in, their, in their life journey and, and, and we can help them give them a hand up. I think you asked, what, what did I say? The last thing I would say is that Every time somebody says no to affordable housing, they're saying yes to homelessness. They're saying yes, we're okay for people to be outside. Because if you don't say yes to affordable housing, there's nowhere for a lot of those people to go. And so, I, uh, again, I understand the fear, but I would like to you know, offer our program and many others around um, North Bay as uh, real solutions to the issue of homelessness. So we need to keep saying yes to affordable housing when it comes up uh, city council meetings and taking the time to go to those meetings and say, we do need to find a solution. Homelessness is getting out of control and we need good programs that are well-run that have affordable solutions and affordable mm -hmm. housing is part of that. Um, and that we need to do, we need to get behind this. So taking the time to, you know, seven o'clock at night, calling to your local city council meeting and say that I support this, it can seem really inconvenient in our days, but it makes a huge difference to getting projects like these approved mm -hmm. uh, and then finding real solutions. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, thank you for everything that, that you do and that Homeward Bound does. It's, it yeah, sounds like an incredible absolutely. program. Didn't really know anything about it. Kind of blown away with everything that you guys do. Um, if someone wants to get in touch with you directly, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Paul? Yeah, you can, um, you can reach out to us via our website and there's a, a I think my number's on there, but if not, you can reach the general line and they can they can they can direct them to me. Okay. And so the website is HBO, like the TV station, and then FM, like the radio. So HBOFM.org. Okay. Very Perfect. cool. Very cool. And then uh the dog treats. Do you sell them directly or just in the stores? If someone wants to get one yeah. of those dog street treats, Oliver's Market, you said Molly's, where um, else? So uh Pet Food Express and Whole Foods. Pet food 
And then most independent pet food stores carry them. And what's the name uh, of the brand specifically? Wagster. Wagster. Wagster Treats. Wagster Treats. And you can absolutely buy them online. Wagstertreats.com. Okay. We make more money if you do. So right, right. Online, so buy them so online. go yeah. buy them directly. Yeah. yeah. What was the w- website again? Wagstertreats.com. Wagstertreats.com. We'll get some for the office. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. Well, again, Paul, thank you very much. It's been really informative. And hopefully we can have you back maybe in a little a while. And you can tell us about how this new projects come together that way. But thank you very much for joining us today. Love so, to. so again, you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm Sean Payne, founder and owner of Live Explore Real Estate and Lifestyle. And thank you very much for joining us today. See you guys next time. Welcome to the Live Explore podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit like and subscribe.